All right, and welcome everybody. This is Matt Ryan to All Roads Lead to Real Estate. And I have a very special guest with me today, someone that I've actually uh, already recorded a podcast with. How long ago was that? that last year. It might have been almost a year ago now. And um, it was, I thought, a rather good podcast. I, I hope you liked it. And we ended up having to, uh, to trash it. And uh, it was kind of sad, wasn't it? All that work. <laughs> yeah. So it was kind of sad, but we had to do it because of attorney recommendations. And so um, so welcome back, should I say. Um, so the highlights, just to let everyone know who I'm speaking to, this is Alfred Chestnut. And Alfred is one of three um, that was involved in a wrongful um, incarceration that is, a, it's, just, it's just crazy when you read about it and learn more about it that, that the three of you have the largest wrongful conviction case in american history yeah and it's 108 years of wrongful incarceration for murder and it happened here in baltimore maryland and it's it's just crazy and so the why we can finally re-record this podcast and actually put this out there is because um you finally had your settlement and finally that that court procedure that took years is finally behind you. You were convicted at age 16. And at age 16, you spent the next 36 years of your life until you were 52 years of age behind bars for something that you didn't do. There was no real evidence ever produced to even suggest that you did it. Mm-hmm. and yet you were able to do it. And I've been able to know you. That's why this podcast is, is interesting because I've learned of you and with you through real estate. Yeah. Right. And so I've been able to help you, um, you know, start investment portfolio. And through that, that's how I've learned your story. Yeah. And that's, that should never happen. It's just, it's it should an, never happen to anybody. Yeah. It, it's just crazy. So I want to start, um, with I think the best way to start is just kind of understand a little bit about where where you were born and raised and and what was the earliest portion of your childhood. That's that's where I want to go. I want to start back at the foundation. We ain't had much, you know, like everybody else. But and and you were born here in Baltimore, right? Yeah. Yep. And the way things are now, or not the way way the way I grew up, you know, as far as being a kid. The kids grow up today, they don't have nowhere to play. You know, I mean, we came up with ideas of how to have fun. You know, the things that they have now, we didn't have these the, the, uh, technology and all that type of stuff even back then. We had a little, but yeah. not a lot. Yeah. You know, but um, I can remember as far as um, like seven, eight years old, uh, my cousin and them used to live like across the street from us growing up. So, and that was that was like what street did he grow up on? Um, that was in uh somewhere near like Rice Town Road. Okay. And in between somewhere like a little further up, maybe, and the street name was uh it was called Billa, Billa Avenue. So was it would you consider a, a pretty happy childhood? Was it pretty normal from what you can remember? Yeah, it was yeah, I was happy. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, we ain't had much, but you know. My mom's was uh, a single mom at that time too, and we survived all. You know, she took care of us. How many brothers and sisters did you have? I had um, two sisters and three brothers. Yeah, yeah. It was five of us all together. 
as you're growing up in the area, I mean, obviously no one expects to go through what you went through, but as you, I mean, do you remember what kind of led up to those events? And I've read quite a bit about it now, just kind of reliving a little bit of your life's journey. And I know you've had to re-go through this because of the trial and everything else and all the court proceedings. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it, it, all this happened in 1983, right? November of 1983? Yeah. And how old were you then? I was 16. You were 16. And so from what I can understand, you were 16 years old in the, the, I mean, I guess just in your words, how did that day, do you remember the day at all? Does that roll, did that come back into your mind? Just as, as your point of view of going back then? I remember, I remember like yesterday. Yeah. You know, um, I remember the police, um, questioning us, you know, at, at that, at that age without our parents, um, attorney, you know, they, they questioned us. Um, they took us down Central Station and questioned us. Um, we ain't had nothing to hide. We told them the truth from the beginning. And, um, you know, we ain't had nothing to worry about until, until they arrested us. Yeah, you thought you were just going down there to answer a few questions and that'd be the end of it. That'd be the end of that, you know. And um, uh, DeWitt was our friend. So, yes, yeah, we were concerned about what happened to him, too. Yeah, so your friend, so you were 16. He was two years younger. He was 14. Mm -hmm. And so from what I can understand, uh, your 14-year-old friend was in Harlem Park Middle School mm -hmm. walking down the hallway, and some somebody murdered him mm -hmm. to take his starter jacket, right? Yeah. So it was pretty, pretty straightforward, and then the police came and wanted to investigate and what less than a week later they had said we've solved the case we're all done yeah pretty much and um it was like um it was like a nightmare to me for real because when they came to get me all they had to do is walk right across the street and arrest me. i live right across the street from the police station no way <laughs> that's crazy right so you saw the police station every day? Every day. I guess you've you've obviously learned a lot about that day, but from your point of view, you you just had a friend that got murdered. It was the first murder in a public school in Baltimore's history. Yeah. So I imagine the police really wanted to settle this quickly. Yeah, solve the case. Let's solve that case quickly. And the thing about it is, it's like, um, you know, I went to Holland Park. I went to Holland Park. And... um I used to go in Holland Park all the time, like to visit old teachers and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I should have been in school. Yeah. But you know how that is, you know. Um and um I I never um had any problems because everybody know me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Why would I do something like that? Like I wasn't even brought up that way to do something like that. And so you and your two friends were cutting school that day, is that right? Well, I had got expelled from school, basically. I had got expelled from school. I was going to uh, Calverton. Okay. And um, I had got expelled. And just so happened, you know, um, like any regular teenager, they out, they out, they having fun, you know what I mean? I was yeah. just roaming the street um, in my old neighborhood, go to see my um, 
my my co-defendants, whatever, my friends, mm-hmm. and um, just decided um, uh, one day, my brother, I woke up in the morning, and my brother, I had a starter jacket. My mom's bought us two starter jackets. My brother had a Michigan, I had a Georgetown jacket. And um, that day, you know, siblings always, you know, siblings shared clothes. Mm-hmm. Me and my, my younger brother, we shared clothes. And just that morning, he asked me, could he wear my jacket? And I said, no, but he wore it anyway. And that kind of upset me. And, um, you know, and I told my mother about it. And she was like, um, cause she know I, I, she said, don't go in inside that school. She told me not to, but I went in there. I wasn't going in there to start anything or, you know, nothing like that. I just went in there to get my jacket from my brother. And that's what I told the teachers when I was looking for them. You know, um, even the teachers knew. It's it's just crazy, man. Like how um, from from going inside there and then leaving, um, uh, the security guard even saw us that day, um, like around like twelve thirty. Who is us? Um, me. It was like five of us that that was inside the school that day. Okay. And um, but none of you went there anymore. It's just you were just there. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the security guard saw us and uh. He asked each and every one of us why we weren't in school when I told him. And um, but he was telling us, he said that we had to clear the premises. We was on the basketball court and he told us that we had to clear the premises. And um, and we left with no problems. Like we didn't give him no no problem or nothing like that. And we went to my house and it take but no more than 15 minutes to get from Holland Park to from Holland Park to Mount Street. It don't take no more than 15 minutes, just walking, mm-hmm. right? And um, by the time I got there, my mom was getting out of the car. She had, um, had went to the market. And um, uh, all five of us helped my mom uh, put the bags in the house and stuff like that. And I remember it so well because it was like 1 o'clock. And when I stepped in the house, I don't know, I don't know if you remember, um, like back in the day, uh, it's to show uh the one o'clock movie on on uh on channel forty five with the Captain Chesapeake and all that. Right after Captain Chesapeake goes off TV, the one o'clock movie come on. You know. I remember this stuff. I remember That's all amazing. this. amazing. Yeah, I remember all this stuff. So um like clockwork. And then in the in the um the area that I used to live, um, back in the day, you used to always hear uh a siren go off on the exact time, like one o'clock on the dot. It always went off. I think they was doing something down the inner harbor or they, uh, I think a pepper mill, they had a pepper mill uh, uh, company or something down there. And I guess during the time the uh, bricks or something like that, they blow that horn. And you can hear it all across the city. And, uh, And you remember it that day. Yeah, I remember that. And um, that's how I know it was one o'clock. <laughs> it's crazy, man. And um, so I had happened to just um, while everybody was in the ho- in my house and stuff, and we was flying around. I went on and um, because like me, I was a a, a teenager, but I like girls. 
I used to chase girls like with any other mm-hmm. teenager dude. I was, you know, and um, I had changed my clothes and everything. Went into the corner store, went and got that and got something, came back in. And then we had left, left my mom's house and um, went up to my old school up Calverton. When I went up there, I seen um, like three or four police cars up there. I never seen that before. I just I, I thought that something must have happened somewhere else or something. While I was out there, I saw my principal and um, he was asking me why I wasn't in school. And I told him what happened. And he told me where well, the the um the vice principal shouldn't have expelled me for for just being in the hallway or whatever, right? He Is that have... what happened? You were expelled. How many days prior or how long earlier did you get expelled? I didn't even have a chance to get a chance to get back in school because he told me um that day to have my mother call and and bring me to school that that um following week and um he were in Bring me back to school. Get me enrolled so you back in school. Yeah, so you weren't out of school that long. Was no. It? Okay. No. Pretty short. Yeah, so in, um, before you know it, I got arrested for this. And it's um, it's crazy. And so the evidence that they said they had was just eyewitness, right? It was, that's, that's, that was the evidence. They said that. Yeah, they had, um, they had witnesses saying that they saw us that day inside the school. And that um, they saw me shoot and, and Ransom and Andrew, you know, uh, grabbed him and, and shoot him. And I mean, I, they saying I shot him and that Ransom and Andrew hold him. And I'm saying to myself, like, it don't take no three people to do something like that. Yeah. It don't it don't take no three people to do something like that to to somebody. But um, and knowing DeWitt, I know DeWitt ain't the type of person that's that that will like fight you back for you know if you got a gun on him or something like that right he'd have just given you the jacket he probably would have just gave it to you yeah you know what i mean he not he wasn't that type of person yeah so that so basically from what i can read and understand it's like you had one eyewitness that was all i think she was 14 as well right yeah at the time yeah and so she came forward and she decided to you know basically the police gave her an ultimatum that you're going to either give us somebody to all of them right we need somebody or your life is going to be hell to every every last one of them and you know you know the whole time that i was incarcerated going to trial and stuff you know that was like a nightmare to me to sit there and listen to someone you know, just lie on you and say that you did something, you knowing, knowing you didn't do it. You wasn't even there. And to hear it coming out of their mouths, like, and I'm saying to myself, who made them say that? You know, and the police, the police made them, made them say that about us. Um, they were kids too. And, you know, but at one time I, I was angry at them. But then I realized, like, it's not their fault because they were children just like we were. Right. You know, and um, I've been I've been forgave them a long time ago. During my whole incarceration, I've been I've been I've been uh, forgave them. No, oh, I believe you now that I know you, I, I, I can understand it, that that is definitely true. But 
but getting back to that day, so they interrogated you that exact day, the day of the murder, or was it a couple days after? It was like, uh, let's see, on a Saturday. I can re I can remember it because um, uh, they came around uh, my co-defendant's home, and um, so Ransom's brother came around the corner and called us. We came to the corner. He said that you know the um, the detectives they want to question y'all about um, the incident that happened uh, in the school, and based based on that the fact that we was inside the school that day. Yeah, and. Um, I had my Georgetown jacket on that day. It's it's crazy, like, um, and then um, when they came out, if I did something like that, why would I? I had all the opportunity in the world not to go in front of these people, the, um, the police officers. They were still in the house. Yeah. Why would I walk right in front of them with demands? If 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 I killed my friend for his Georgetown jacket, why would I walk in front of him in the in the police? face like that. Yeah. I must be a really bold, yeah. a bold and and evil person to do something like that. You know, that 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 would be the type of person that actually would be bold enough to walk in front of the police with with the murder jacket on. Sure. That that don't make sense. And then um uh when they they just said um they they weren't arresting us, but they wanted to question us. So I ain't have a problem with it. Um, Did they ask you, do you want to wait till you have parents or do you want to see if you want to get you an attorney? Did they say anything like that? No, no. Um, they asked us, was we willing to, um, to go down Central? And I said, yes. Um, Ransom brother was a little older than us. And um, the guy that we was talking to, he was a friend of ours named, um, named Craig. He was a little older than us too. So they asked, could they go with us and down there? So while we getting in the car, you know the the um the cars that they drove back back in the day, they called them um knocker cars because they so small and they look they regular cars and they dress uh, plain clothes and all that old type of stuff. And um we got in the car, barely could fit in there, so I had to sit on uh I had to sit on his knee. And um while we getting in the car. The police, one of the detectives turned around. He said, um, you kill that boy for that uh, that jack? I said, nah, this is my jack. I said, I ain't kill nobody for nothing. And uh, he said, oh, he was laughing. Oh, I was just joking with you. The whole time, like, I I didn't, I don't, I, I didn't know anything about the the the, the law or, yeah. or, or the, because I ain't never been in trouble. I ain't never been to prison. I ain't never got locked up before. So um, when we drove down there, they questioned us, and I told them the truth. Yes, we was there, but we weren't in there when all that stuff happened. We weren't there. Yeah. What should you have said now that you know what you know? Should you have just said nothing and just said, I need to talk to an attorney? Yeah, I would, I would probably, um, yeah, I'm not going nowhere with y'all unless I got an attorney or you want to arrest me. Yeah. You know, no, I wouldn't have went with nowhere with him. But the 16-year-old version didn't know anything. The 16-year-old version yourself, you just do answer everything the best you can. Yeah. Because the whip was my friend, so I ain't have a problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's your friend know. that died. I'm not killing my friend. You know, he's my friend. Yeah. Ask anybody. Yeah. Yeah. What I learned about is the person that, the lead detective that managed to put you away and build this case on you. Tell me about him and what his, like, what has come out about that man 
in the in the years after. He's still in denial, like like that he ain't did no wrong. He haven't apologized. He haven't said anything. Has he ever been accused of this type of behavior before, where he quickly solved a, a crime and somebody got locked up? I have a um. It's a guy named Wendell Griffin. Um, he had his case. Um, and I know Wendell Griffin. Um, from in the Maryland Penitentiary, I know Wendell Griffin. Still, no justice, like for even for him. How many people do you think that you met might be in your shoes? It's a lot. While I was in prison, yeah. Ain't nobody gonna keep saying that for years, 40 years, keep yeah. saying he ain't did it. Yeah. Come on, you just did the time. You just did the time. Like, like for, for, for me, um, 30 years in, like, why, why keep on saying, saying that yeah. if you did something, if you know you did it, yeah. Why, why keep denying it? Yeah. It's been 30, 40 years now. Like, yeah. Nah, my story has been the same from day one. Yeah. No. I mean, what, I guess, when did you really know your life at that point was changed forever? Like, when is it, how did you know? Did they come back to your house and walk across the street and say, that's it? When they woke me up, all I saw was flashlights and they, they came in, me and my brother room. They flashed the flashlights on in my face, and my younger brother didn't know what was going on. He was like scared, you know. Um, when he came into my room, he basically was looking all around the room, where the gun, where the jacket at. I said, my jacket is in the closet, and it was hanging up in the closet. And then he gonna question me about um, uh, the tennis shoes and shoes that 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 I had in my room. Where you get all those tennis shoes and shoes at? I got the boxes. Like, I'm a teenager. I was a teenager. And, you know, um, I had my tennis shoes, like, lined up all neat with the boxes. Yeah. The shoes on the on top of the boxes. You know, um, as if um, my my mother couldn't afford to the, 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 um, buy tennis shoes or whatever for me. You know, he questioned, he questioned me about that. It's, 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 it's ridiculous, man. Um, and then on top of that, I remember my mom's, uh, told me to, um, gather up all the clothes that I couldn't fit so that we can get them away. And they were sitting in a big old duffel bag. Right. So I was trying to get good clothes to put on because I was in, in my underwear. I was trying to get clothes to put on. He told me to get dressed. He told me not that. The, the good clothes that, you know, to make it look like um, the, the whatever they was putting on me, to make it look like I ain't had nothing. Like I was just a a person out to just rob people for clothes and, yeah. and whatever. Like, I you know. Well, you have to fit the story. Yeah. Right. So um, he put me in something, some of the clothes. I remember a pair of jeans that um, I had fell down in and I, and I ripped them. Right. And I never put them back on. Put me in them jeans. Yeah. He put me in those jeans and a in a um a old sweater jacket that I was gonna get to, you know. Sure. Put put me in that. Made us look like we ain't we ain't had nothing. Like I say, we ain't had much, but my my mother took care of us. Sure. Real well. Anything that I wanted in life, my moms will tell me, like, I mean, I knew how to get stuff on my own. And I ain't had to rob nobody. Back then, kids were civilized. Like, they knew how to do so. I would help people with their bags. 
you know, old people would trust you to go to store for them and, and all that old type of stuff. They give you some money to go get something. Yep. Man, like for real. Yeah. So it's like, that's the era I came out of. So I knew how to get things. I put stuff on layaway to get what I want. Yeah. Shoes, whatever. Yeah. I ain't had to do that. I ain't had to do that at all. I knew how to get stuff on my own. I remember in 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 um growing up that sometimes like we ain't even had no food on the table. In some kind of way, I would go out there, man, help people with their bags, and I would bring food in the home in in the house. I was a kid. Yeah. Who who does that today? Who what kid does that? Yeah. It's crazy. So so that that's the day that changed everything. And so you had one, you know, you had one person basically turn into three other people, teenage, like, I guess, 14 year olds. And the only evidence they had is they said, yep, that's the guy. That's it. And then the three of you get locked up. It took my jacket saying that that was DeWitt's. Right. You know, and your mom had a receipt, didn't she? And had she the, showed it to him. Had the receipt, had the man come and testify to that fact that I did buy two NBA jackets. He just don't, he didn't remember the technology. I think back then, they, and, and I think they, they could have, even found it in the receipt by the numbers. Yeah. All you got to do is go by the numbers on the receipt and it will bring up that item or what type of item that, that, that it was. And so now you're, you're in prison and I mean, what was that like? You're 16 years old and they, they ship you off, you know, to an adult prison, right? This isn't some, yeah, they didn't care. This wasn't some, you know, nah, they didn't care. Adolescent nah. situation. They put you right in in an adult with, prison. With the adults with wolves and dragons. The Maryland Penitentiary was the most dangerous prison in the world back then. Wow. When I when they when they sent us to city jail, um, from city jail to Dionysus, I didn't even stay in Dionysus long enough. Like for real, they they shipped me over there within. A couple of months. It didn't even take long. And I could see the Maryland Penitentiary from my window. I seen um, people getting stabbed out in the yard. I actually seen fights in the yard, people getting stabbed in the yard. And this was what I had to face as a child, mm -hmm. you know, wondering what's going to happen to me when I get there. So I had to um, I had to grow up real fast. Yeah, I'd say, and and I want to keep asking you about it, but what what I want to bring up now is just a little bit of the present day is because with with doing a little bit of research to be able to talk with you now, um, there are some folks out there that because of this settlement, the city is trying to make right what was wrong to you and to your two friends at the time all those years ago, 40 years ago, and people aren't thrilled that now they're having to try to make amends, right, and make a settlement with you. It's the largest settlement in Maryland in Baltimore's history. Um, it was $48 million of taxpayers' money, which, you know, you split it up minus attorney fees. It's not a t as much as it sounds. Yeah. And yet it's all you have to show for all the years yeah. that you didn't have choice, you didn't have any opportunity. Right. And, yeah. and it's just, so as we talk about what your experiences were like as a teenager, 20, 30, 40-year-old, it, I just want to, I just, it, that's what I think about is just like what was taken from you and what little is able to be given to you and how hard you had to fight to get anything. Yeah, anything. No one wanted to do anything for you. They didn't want to do, they didn't want to help me. Like 
I wrote everybody like, and, but I didn't let it, you know, discourage me to continue to keep on trying to find help. I wrote pro, pro bono lawyers and everything. And they said they couldn't help me. Um, um, I wrote out of state to the innocent projects. They couldn't help me. And then, um, just one day, um, uh, my ex, um, came back into my life, you know, before all this stuff happened. She helped me in, in a, in a sense where calling the attorney general for me, uh, to getting a uh, private investigator. She helped me with that, get a private investigator, you know, and that's, that's something, you know, that I was distressing at that time that I'm, I might need a private investigator to, to look into, um, the witnesses to go back and, and talk to the witnesses. And he did that. I don't know within them, you know, to basically do the right thing this time. And I and I can just imagine what they was going through, knowing that they put somebody in prison. You're talking about the people that ended up testifying as 14 year olds yeah, against you, right? Knowing that they put somebody in prison for something they didn't do. Yeah, you know. But yeah, it's like, and I understand, and I know that that stuff. Um, mess with their lives like right now yeah you know have they ever spoken to you directly no um they basically told our lawyers you know um ron bishop and uh edward capers you know they apologize you know what i mean we supposed to be seeing ron bishop one day um he wants to see us you know we want to sit down and talk to him and i just want him i just want to let him know like Man, I don't I don't have no animosity towards you. What they did to you, they did to us. Yeah. You a victim as well. You was a victim just as well as we were. So I give you I give you a lot of credit because I I don't know since I've met you and I heard your story, it's it it amazes me how even keel and kind hearted you are and how un I don't know, just the amount of revenge I would want. And maybe you felt that at times and you worked yeah. through it. Yeah. I worked through all that stuff. It was just, it's just like, you know, once you, once you um, spiritually uh, get a connection with God, yeah, open your eyes. It, but during the whole time that I was incarcerated, God had favor on me. It was just the little things that I knew that this right here don't play a part in certain things that was happening in my life, even while I was there. Yeah. Like it had to be God. Don't, don't get me wrong. I had my ups and downs like every day, like reliving the same thing over and over again um, with people, people's personalities and the way that they are. Yeah. You got to try to some kind of way, man, figure out yeah. how to get around that type of stuff so it don't affect you or who you are. In the Maryland Penitentiary, you can get lost. You can really get lost in there. You can even lose your mind. Am I going to die here? Yep. Am I going to get stuck in here? Because you can get stuck in there too. Oh, yeah. Try to protect yourself. Like anything, it could be the littlest minute thing. Like just words. Just words alone to get you killed. On somebody for what? 69 cent? A dollar? You get killed for a dollar, man. Yeah. You get killed for um, a cigarette. A roll of toilet paper, anything, man. I'm telling you, it's it's crazy. 
um, it seemed like to me while I was in there that I was uh, the same I was uh, the same one in there. Help me understand what it's actually like to be in prison. I I haven't been, thank God. Um, but people people think what's it like? People think that because certain things that they may um, um, give to the guys while they're incarcerated, them guys don't don't get it misunderstood because. Every day that an individual is behind that wall, he is suffering for whatever he did. He is suffering day and day and, and night. He's suffering. When he wake up in the morning, he got to see that bar. He got to see them bars right there in front of him. Do we reflect on the things that he did? Some of them do. Why in this country do you think, having been there, not everyone is wrongfully convicted? Like, that's not... You know your experience is hopefully everybody, right an every, outlier. But that's true, though. And I'm, I'm, I'm. That's true. Everybody is not innocent. Not everybody's yeah. innocent. That's you got some real killers in there. Uh huh. For but, real, they real but killers. But not everybody in there is a killer. No. We are have everybody locked up in prison. We have more people in prison than anywhere but, in the world. But still, people change, though. Yeah, I seen that with my eyes, like my own eyes. A real killer change. I I just seen real killers change for the better for themselves. Like really. They they educated, and they trying to get back in society. They want to be forgiven. Yeah. Have you ever seen anyone actually been able to get out and get through that process, or are they still a stuck lot. in there? Yeah, I've, I've seen a lot, like dudes that thought they would never, ever, ever get on the street. They home now. Yeah. Is they coming back to prison? No. They be a fool. These guys ain't coming back to prison. They out here doing the right thing, like for real. It and so I'm just curious as someone that has like what is it like I was asking you before like what is a day like what's a traditional day like do you have a certain wake up time and what's do you get to exercise is it yeah. is it it's, I assume it's well, very routine based right it's very well I'm always up at five anyway yeah. like in the morning I'm always up while everybody sleep I'm up yeah so it's like um so there's a certain lights on time. No, they don't have that like lights out, lights on. It's what you think. I only see you see in the movies that's, and you That's that's back in the day, like in yeah. in in the forties and well, in the seventies maybe. In the seventies, yeah. It was it was a little bit going on. There was a lot of racist stuff going on back then in the prison system. It still is really I was gonna say it is. Yeah. yeah. And um it was really terrible, even really back back in them days in the seventies and just imagine, you know, I done seen a lot of people die in prison. It's it's ghosts. It's like ghosts walking around in these in these prison systems. Like for real. Wow. It's it's so many people didn't die. People don't know nothing about this. Like literally, people die every day in prison. If they sick, they not they not take. They ready for you to die in prison. They not gonna give you no help. I, I'm I, I want to say to these kids out here today, you go to prison, man. You know you get sick. They, they, they're, they're ready for you to die in prison, man, for them yeah. to help you spend money and get you well. They're not going to do that. All that money they make or they say that they they, they give to take care of um, an inmate, they don't see none of that. They don't see none of that. The prison is dirty. The food is nasty. Compared to when I first came to prison, they was feeding you good at first. Then they start calling themselves saving the state money. And why they're in this prison system 
these individuals are putting money in their pocket. You know, they riding around in, in um, Mercedes and what and individuals, the people that work in the system. Yeah, they literally get bonuses for for saving the state money. I heard, and maybe this is wrong, but I heard that it's around $70,000 a year to keep someone in prison. Something like that, yeah. Is that what you've heard? Something like that. It's something like that, uh, uh, you know, but yeah. you know, what? 70000 to take, and he, he's still not getting anything that these people saying that uh, if the people was to walk, when, whenever they have um, uh, these administrators or whatever, or the correctional administrators come in these prisons, they straighten up. They start cleaning up. They start cleaning up and all that stuff, type of stuff, putting their little tires on the uniform and all that stuff. These officers don't care about nobody. They don't yeah. care about nobody. Yeah. Most of them do, but majority of them, they don't. Yeah. They don't care. Yeah. Like, they look down on you because you you incarcerated. Yeah. They don't look at you. Most of them don't look at you as a human being that right. made a mistake. Right. You know, and you're looking at people that look just like you. It's, it's, it's crazy. I want to know some some experiences that shaped your life that while you were in prison. Was there anything that you that just keeps you up at night? Is there anything that you remember that stands out over all those years? Well, I'm always going to have trauma. Yeah. Like it, 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 it comes out me in, in different ways. Like, you know, all the stuff that I've been holding in. Like, you know, the anger and stuff. Like, people will make you angry in there. And if you respond... See, I had I had tap on my emotions. Like, men have... We say we don't have emotions, but we do. You know, it could be it could be sad or it could be angry. But that, that angry part of a man, the other side of a man, like, um, a man should have uh, uh, control of that. He should have control of that. And I did. Like, basically, I did. Now, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I many of nights, I'd have cried. Yeah. I'd have cried because, like, um, you say to yourself, it make you it make you feel less than a, a man. But no, no. It don't make you less of a man if you don't respond to the ignorance of somebody else. Because somebody, he gonna, he gonna mess with somebody that's just as ignorant as he is. Yeah. And he's going to get dealt with. <laughs> I mean, so, are, are there cliques in prison? Because I always hear there's cliques. It's, I always hear it's really <laughs> racial. Like everybody, like you have the Hispanic group, you have the white group, the black group. Is it? Is it that? Is that the way that? No, that's like, that's like uh, this new generation that's coming into prison. I don't know what's going on with this gang stuff. Like it, it's, it's like the most ignorant thing I ever saw in my life. Like. I saw people falling behind just one man. How, how, how can you fall behind somebody, falling behind a, a man giving, telling you what to do, not the right things, but the wrong things to do? That that don't make sense. Like, is you crazy? See, it's not as racial. It's just more like gang-based. Is that what you're saying? In certain prisons, like uh, when I was up Cumberland, most of the correctional officers up there, they racist. For for anybody that's um 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 Caucasian white whatever, they they get it easy. Um, if you go into um prisons where that they got gangs, they separated. You know that's that's all they do. That's all they know how to do. 
So they never mix people anyway. There's gangs. They basically say, which gang are you on? And just put you over there. I mean, it's it's like you have your sets, you know, but I don't understand that stuff, man. It, it was just. Did you ever have to join for protection? Did you ever have to go with a group ever to say, that's the way I'm going to survive? No. <laughs> no, that's. <laughs> no, man. Like, you know, uh, you know, the older guys, they told me, you know, the right things to do and the wrong things not to do while I was in prison. Like, um, they told me, look, just be yourself. Um, I remember um, I met a guy named Dennis Wise, and he told me, um, I met him on lockup. He said, whatever you do, man, because I seen him in a cell, he had a TV. All he, all he did was read all the time. And um, he said, just concentrate on yourself. Like, try to go to school and and try to get into the law library and try to get out of prison. Just be yourself and you ain't gonna have no problems on nobody. Like, and that's all that's how I ever been. I always been myself. Anybody I tell you, they say, even till the day, dudes will say to me, they said, man, it was it was like a pleasure, man, meeting you. You the realest person I ever met in my life. Like, even far as um being um friends with you you always been the same with me. You never switched up on me. You your 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 personality and all that has always been the same. Yeah. I had good days and I had bad days. The good days were with the, the dudes that I was around all the time. Because so, so what's a good day? Is it a good day like shooting basketball or like what would you I do? Did, what's I a never, good day? I never played basketball. So what do you do? I what's, mean what's I, a good if, day? I mean, I've worked out. Yeah. And, you know, you do certain things like um, they had things for you to do and stuff like um, programs and stuff. And, you know, the dudes I messed with, they was in programs trying to better themselves. And, you know, we'll go kick the bobo all the time, talk, work out together, you know, all type of stuff. Like, you know. Yeah, that's that's something. So, I mean, did you have anything? Because I remember last time we tried to do this podcast, you were describing a scene which... I think about from time to time, just imagining you in that situation where you had somebody in a cell just getting stabbed and stabbed and stabbed. And I just think about how in the hell that would be. Are you sipping on that? <laughs> he just took a sip of something. I poured him. <laughs> That'll get you there. But it's perfect timing to have that happen to you, right? As I talk <laughs> about that, because that was just the wildest story I've ever heard to think that's something you had to experience. Yeah. I mean, tell me about that story. <clears throat> like, that's the craziest thing. Well, I just was, um, I was in a cut. And um, it was this guy, I think his name was Butt-Butt. They call him Butt-Butt. Butt-Butt? <laughs> <laughs> oh, they call him Butt-Butt. I don't know why they call him that. <laughs> yeah. But, um, I, I guess it was a street name or something, but he was a mo. Um, he a Marsh, He was a Marsh American, and um, he did something to a guy. I think he stole his he stole his clothes, and and this white guy stabbed him, caught him while he was in the bed. He stabbed him. I don't know how many times. So I'm standing downstairs. Uh, talking to the officer in front of the, um, the um, shack, whatever, in the building. And I looks up, and he walking down the steps the, from 
all the way from his head to his toes, his drawers, everything. He was covered in blood. I, the woman screamed, and you know, I automatically just jumped to to the grab me and the dude named um, Billy, and um, I grabbed the um, the the thing off the uh, little the, um, the little medical thing, whatever the bed, whatever you carry them on, and um, we laid them on the uh, on the scratcher thing and um, ran them down to the hospital. And why he was. The sheet, we was like the big sheet kind of thing? Yeah, the, uh, you know, like... The gurney? Yeah, the gurney. We took him on the gurney, and he was, like, telling me, he said, Chestnut, man, he hit me in my mouth with it. Like, like he literally got stabbed in the mouth. What did he get stabbed with, do you know? It was a knife. <clears throat> How do you get a knife in prison? They make knives. They make knives. <laughs> yeah, they make knives in prison. Um, The dude, I actually... I actually saw the man level a kidney or something, right? And I was just telling him, like, man, just, I said, man, just keep talking. Just keep talking, man. And we was rolling. The, the female, the female, she was so um, hysterical that she seen all this blood. She fell. She tried to open up the gate. She f fell down on the ground. Yeah. And, uh, but he made it, though, you know, through all that. Like, wow. Yeah. That same cell that he got stabbed in. Years later, I moved in that cell. Okay. It just so happened, um, I said, you know, I cleaned the cell up, right? I said, you know what, let me let me pull this bunk away from the wall. I pulled the bunk away from the wall and it was a big dark line going straight across like that, number blood. Oh, God. That blood been there for, I don't know how, for years. Yeah, wow. That same blood. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. So, I guess, I guess, what are you gonna do now? I mean, now you, you managed to get yourself out. I remember you you were telling me just it was just sheer deterrence on your part to get out of that situation, yeah. to to write all the letters, to do everything you can on behalf of yourself, and you were the main person to get your friends out too. You were the one advocating, never giving up the entire time. Like how, yeah. How did you manage? How did you get? How did you manage to do it? Like I said, the people that was around me always encouraging me to to try to to try to get out, like to better myself. So it's like um, me going to school, trying to get my GED. I couldn't even concentrate on getting my GED because I was determined trying to learn or find something in my case. Yeah. So it was like I couldn't even get it. Now a lot, I just seen a lot of dudes in prison. Um, Get that GED. They pay for that GED. And yeah, I could have did that, but I what didn't. What do you mean, pay for it? I mean, you pay, get that GED. <laughs> you mean, you didn't really earn it, you just pay for it? Yeah. Yeah. The dude, they had the inmate doing the um the tests back then. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, like, yeah, um, I didn't do that, though. I didn't do it. No. Yeah. I said, no, I'm not doing that. Because I seen dudes that can barely read. Got their GED. Yeah. Like, they could read, couldn't even read. I couldn't even read and write when I first got incarcerated. I, I couldn't even read and write. Yeah. Read a little bit, but not nah, enough. 16 year old without yeah. the schools didn't help you enough to read and write? Nope. That's crazy. No, they didn't. Do you think your situation would have been different if you were in a different part 
a town, if you were born somewhere different, if your circumstances were uh, slightly different, yeah. I think your situation is just not one that is likely to happen unless you're in that specific area in your specific situation. I just think yeah. the story is just so it's just I just think of my own children. It's like the likelihood yeah. of that scenario playing out for my kids, I would think, is so much lower. It's it's really crazy because in these neighborhoods today, they like prisons. Yeah. I look at it and it do remind me of prison. It's like um, when I first came home and I drove, we, my brother drove me like somewhere like downtown. And I was just seeing how um, how everything had changed and the people, you know, um, you see on the, pe- on the street, um, people addicted to drugs, homeless, home, homeless people uh, roaming the street. I really ain't see all, a lot of that growing up to to the day. Oh, it's everywhere now. It's everywhere now. And like, it's not just Baltimore. It's yeah, it's not it's not everywhere. It's everywhere, man. Like in Philly. I they said it's like you walking down, it's just drug addicts and dope this dope fans walking up and down the street all all around, everywhere, laying in the street, homeless people just in the street. Yeah. Like in California and certain parts of California. Well, you now you're out of prison and you're I don't want to go into too many details on the podcast, but what you're dealing with now that you have a settlement after all of this and people can be jealous of you yeah. or hate on you. Hate on you. And it's affecting your life in a really meaningful way. Yeah, because people don't know me. I help people. I help, like I said, I help people in prison, like people that lost their mind, actually lost their mind. And I done brought these individuals back. Like, just little things. Like, I did, like, um, uh, um, get a haircut for them. I, I, I helped somebody, pay somebody to cut their hair. Yeah. Or go to to the um, property room and say, I got a, a dude that needs some um, state jeans or whatever. And get them fresh for a day. Oh, I don't know how long it take. It might He might be like that for a whole week. And then go back into that stage, yeah. right? But one thing I can tell you about that individual that he never forgot what I did for him, yeah. like for real. And I do that even today on the street. Like I help homeless people out. Like I, I don't, you know, I don't discriminate. Yeah. I help anybody out. But I say I can't do that all the time. Neither I can't do that all the time. I'm like. um, it's crazy, like people actually think that because, you know, um, you know an individual or whatever, like that you're supposed to look out for them. Like I, I can look out for you in different ways and in 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 different ways. But um <clears throat> I just like I said, I I don't want nobody to look at the money that these people gave us because that's never enough. That's it's not nothing that that's not enough. You could offer me that money today and I could switch shoes with you and do that again. And I would never take it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it, it's one thing if you did something to earn it, but you didn't do anything and something did it to you. It's just, it's the craziest, yeah. it's the craziest situation. And then I'm reading articles before I started the podcast and there's people in the city that are describing how many others settlements are probably going to happen. Yeah. You've set a precedent, not just here, but yeah. all over the country. Yeah. The case that you had, the precedent that it's created, 
the amount of injustices that have happened, there's not enough money to make this right. No. There's not enough people that'll ever have an opportunity to do what's happened yeah. to you. You are a one out of a million opportunity right. to you know, even be sitting here having this discussion, drinking a whiskey on a podcast. Just the idea that, that is, you're one in a million. Yeah. It's and crazy. It's it's a it's been like every day, man, it's been a blessing to me. Like, I don't take nothing for granted. Like people I'm still I'm still from day one, the stage of when I came home from day one. I'm still at that stage. I'm I'm you know, I'm looking at flowers and yeah. you know, the beauty of things. Like I wanna say like uh uh Marilyn Mosby, she done helped a lot of people, like really helped a lot of people. And um, I'm just looking at her situation, you know, and what they what they doing to her is totally wrong. I don't, I don't like it. They they can say whatever they can say about her, but I see that this woman was trying to change the scenario. Yeah, and that's why they got rid of her, because she was trying to change the scenario, like you know the overcrowdedness in prison. Like you got dudes been locked up ever since the fifties. Come on, man. An old man. I know a man named Mr. Cadillac. He go to service. Every time he get up on that podium, he cry. He talk about how long he been in prison. Like, he said, man, he want to go home. He want to go home. Yeah. Like, literally want to go home. He not that person. Whatever, he, he done the time for that stuff. Yeah. Like, and that's what I'm saying. And they mad at Marilyn Mosby because she... She wasn't on the on the, on the team. Yeah, she wasn't on the team, so they got rid of. You know, they they come up with this stuff, and now you see they doing the same thing. You can't even trust some of these politicians. You can't even trust them because they backstab. They stab each other in the back. I'll bring you up to speed yeah. on what it's like out here uh, for all these years. It's been that way. Yeah, uh, we can't trust a lot of people. Yeah, and you sound like a conspiracy theorist when you start talking about it. Yeah, it's crazy, and man. The truth is, you can't really trust a lot of what we read and what we see on TV. I heard, I heard somebody it's say crazy. Um, uh, a Republican and a Democrat. I said a, a Republican is a Democrat, and a Democrat is a Republican. I said, um, you hear them all the time. They keep announcing the same thing over to y'all. Get it, get it, get it. They ain't getting it right. It's something that they ain't doing right. They say the same thing every year. Even here in Baltimore, the murder rate is 300. It's been 300. It's been over 300. Yeah. These are stuff that they don't know, like, really. You keep saying the same thing every year, every yeah. year. And not a whole and, lot changes. And then it's, yeah. not, it's not nothing yeah. changing. Nothing is changing. Well, I'll tell you what, the change that you're going to do, it sounds like what I admire about you is that somebody who's received a settlement that's been in the situation you're in could easily take that settlement and it could just disappear. They could spend it on junk and yeah. be broke the next year. And I I commend you. That's how we've met is that you're, you're going to not just build for yourself. Now you have a daughter, six-month-old daughter, right? Yeah. And- you have a beautiful partner named Vaughn and you got like you're building something and you're thinking of the future and you're thinking of your daughter mm -hmm. and you're going to invest and you're going to have income stream. It's well beyond. It's not, it's, yeah. it's just remarkable that that's the way that you think. Yeah. And I don't know if everyone would think that yeah. way. No, I, I, most people don't most think that people way. wouldn't think of it that it, way. No, they think about now 
Here and now. Right now. It's right now. Yep. It's right now. But what you going to do about the future? Like, um, you know, I, I looked out for my little nephew. He just turned 18. And I'm letting him, I told him, I said, look, I said, what I gave you is like, not for right now. It's about what you can build off of that. I want you to build off of what I gave you. And by the time you like 25 or 30 years old, man, you can say my uncle, my uncle, he wasn't. You can see it. I see exactly what my uncle was telling me. Well, it's just, I just see in you the ability to, now that, now the settlement is done and you're able to talk more freely, it's like, you're going to be in a position to change other people's lives. You can use this not just to help yourself, but help others. Um, and I believe that's what you're going to do. I think that's what, maybe okay. if you talk about God's will and on all your I think belief, that's one of his that might be one of the reasons you're here. Yeah. That's one of my purposes because I had that purpose in prison. Like it, you know, um, talking to God, I always pray to God though. He know what's on my mind, but he also know that I'm going through stuff right now too. Like, and I'm just asking God, like, you know, to, um, you know, the same way that he guided me in there to guide me out here. Are you talking to anybody? Do you have anybody to speak to? Do you have, do they give you a therapist? Anybody at all? Like any? I mean, I'm supposed to be uh, eventually talking to someone, but it's, 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 I think it's just me really. Like, You've been out for three or four years now. Yeah. You haven't had anything. I had therapy. I I have therapy and I've had nothing to talk about. <laughs> Yeah, like I, I think I think you might want to do that. I think to work through it, you're really yeah. pretty put to, well together. But I, I can't imagine. Yeah, because like I say, um, my trauma is different from my cold defendant's trauma. Yeah, and anybody else, it's like you know, and I can't compare my trauma with theirs, and they can't compare their trauma with mine's. So it's like um, a friend of mine. He was locked up for forty years. He's free now. He just told me he had an episode. The other day, he cried, like, yeah. and I told him, I said, yeah, man, it's going to come out you in all different type of ways. I said, you might look at a picture of yourself or you listen to a song that remind you of, of, of yourself. Like, yeah, um, it's a song. Um, I forgot the name of it, but every time I hear it, it's talking about me. It was talking about me, about how... Um, uh, everyone let me down and how they um, um, had me as um, an animal and I'm not that person and whatever. And the strengths that I had yeah. the whole time that I was in there fighting, trying to get out. And it made me cry when I was in Puerto Rico yeah. and I couldn't stop crying. I was trying to hold it. I was trying to fight it. <laughs> I couldn't fight it. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't fight it. I was just sitting there, you know, sitting there while my girl was in there. With the baby, and I'm sitting there just crying. Yeah. My tears, it was, it couldn't stop, and I had to go in. And that's what I was trying to help. I said, man, it's going to come out you in all kinds of ways. Like, I said, it came out me in prison like that, and I thought I was going crazy. But, you know, you put any human being in a condition like that, it's liable to, it, 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 can, it can mess that person up. I just think if I was, if the shoes were reversed and I was in that situation, I really don't think I, I don't know if I could be as strong as the way that you are. It's not just here sitting in this conversation. I've known you now for a long time. Yeah. It's, yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't think it's possible for me. And uh, I, yeah. I don't think a lot of people could. 
I heard a lot of people say, like my mom, she should say it. She used to come and see me, um, and she said, boy, I don't, I don't know how you do it. And I said, um, me neither, but I said, man, I'm, I'm around a lot of good people. And I said, one thing for sure, man, I'm not going to do anything to, to make me get stuck in here or somebody to kill me in here. Yeah. Like, I mean, I literally almost lost my life in prison. Um, at 17. How'd you almost die? Um, somebody thought I was involved in something and uh, one thing led to another and I got hit in the face with a push burn. It fractured, um, I had got a detached retina, only got mm. half vision in my left eye. Um, I had a jaw broke, my nose broke. Um, I had wind up here getting, um, uh, my teeth wide and all that type of stuff. Um, it chipped the bone right here on the side of my eye there. Wow. And my cheekbone, I think I got like something up here. I could feel it sometimes, like, because uh, my cheekbone was damaged. And um, I, something, I think they got something like a little little rod or something maybe up in there or something. It feel, I could feel it. Wow. Well... All I can say is you have one hell of a story and I appreciate you sharing it with me. And I wish I could say that there's no way this is going to happen to anybody else. Like, good thing we've gotten this past us, but I don't think I'm that naive. And I don't think, you know, I just read the report about how they're going to be looking into the system to verify that this never happens again. Yeah. I mean, what do you think about that? I think that's going to... The only way that this ain't going to happen again is that they got to have... a police reform where that um the police is some of these police they just like us they don't realize that they when when they 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 look at the badge and then the authority that they have over people right and then they listen to these old old police officers that been in the system they done done some things too it just hasn't been brought up yet right you know you see people um they keep hiring these chief polices and all that, saying that this police is, he qualified for this. But you look, how long he's, has he been in the system? Yeah. 40, 50 years. 50 years ago, they was busting and yeah. turning black people up back in 50 years ago, you 40 years you ago. You, you do whatever, whatever you, want. you want to people. That's it. So you mean to tell me yeah. 40 today in 2023 that you ain't never... You ain't never did nothing like that in your life. Yeah. Most of these officers in there now, they 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 keeping it cuss, uh, quiet. Well, they not. got a code of ethics in in the police yeah. department, and anyone that goes against them, yeah, you gonna have a problem. Well, it's, it's not easy to be a cop these days. It's either. not easy because there are good. There's lots of good cops. It's, I'm not saying that they're not. But, they're all good. But there's some bad ones too. There are a lot of bad ones. Yep, there are a lot of bad ones. There are a lot of bad ones. Like whatever happened to the officer friendly that I knew, like yeah. growing up, yeah. the the officer that walked in the neighborhood that you knew, yeah, right. These officers, you don't know none of these officers. These officers don't talk to you. They they look down on you coming through the hood, walking yeah. through the hood. They look down on you like you a piece of nothing. Well, they're very much against each <clears throat> other, 
It's yeah. like adversaries. It's not like they're yeah. part of the community. It's very much adversarial. Yeah. But they're, they have their hands tied too because it's yeah. not good. That's all I know city cops. I sell them houses. It, because and they're screwed too. They can't defend themselves half the time. Like it's, a lot of them come in really good intentioned. I know yeah. a bunch of them. Yeah. They get hardened after a while. Yeah. Because life is miserable. It's miserable for them. It's not easy for it's them. Not and easy. I know a lot of good cops. I have two brother-in-laws that are police detectives. Yeah. And they're good people. Like these are not the bad ones. And yeah. yet they both are going to be on the way out the door to retire because of all the changes that have come in. And they call it reform, but I don't know if it's much reform. It's more like cover your ass and and yeah. you know, and yeah. and make their jobs harder. Yeah. So I don't know what the answer is. It's like everything else in the world that's falling apart. It's like you don't really have a solution other than I can Yeah, I think I think that um Somewhere down the line that um, uh, the people, I mean, the police should uh, just go in on and, 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 and prove us wrong. Prove us wrong. Show us that, that you're for us, not against us. Like, like you're going to have um, uh, people that's going to be doing things. Yeah. But at the same time, look at the other people, right, that, that that are not doing these type of things, right? And um make it so that you go into these communities um looking at people uh like any other people that you be around. Yeah. Like literally. Like you sit down with your people wherever you live at, same way, same way. You got friends. Same way, man. Go into these neighborhoods and talk to some of these people. Talk to some of them kids. Yeah. Go into your trunk and pull some bats and baseball gloves yeah. out there, man, and give them to them kids. Yeah. That's what they that's what they used to do, man. Oh, yeah. When I was growing up. Yeah. Like, um, I know a man named Mr. Roy. I don't, I don't know if he's still alive, but um, I'll give a shout out to him. If he's still alive and he remember me. As a kid, he used to give me um, a whole duffel bag, like, like maybe like six, seven bats and gloves and baseballs. Say, play with your friends, go out there. Go out yeah. there. He said, man, just go out there. And I used to go in all the neighborhoods and gather up kids. And we used to play right there in front of Highland Park uh, playground, right there where the baseball field at. And, and old people just to love seeing us play baseball. Sure. That's crazy. You don't see that no more. <laughs> no, not so much. It's it's not like that no more. Like they 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 graduating to uh, stealing cars and, uh, and if you you can't get it, take it. Yeah, that ain't the way. That ain't the way. What if that was your mother? Yeah. What if what if that was your mother or your sister that you threw on the ground right. and somebody smacked her and bust her in the head yeah. for what? What a hundred dollars? Yeah. You go into prison for $100, you kill somebody for $100, $200, you assaulted, you go into prison for the rest of your life. You go into a store and you rob somebody and you get $1,500. You go into prison for the rest of your life for 15 measly $100. Yeah. Not even some of them in there now for $200 yeah. for the rest of your life. You mean to tell me you robbed somebody for two hundred dollars and killed them, and now you in prison? Your life is over. Well, I can tell you, somebody out there is going to hear you, and it might help influence them 
to not go down that path. It's, it's true, not a that, game. It's not a game. Like that's the power that you have at this point. Is and, you actually can someone's going to listen to you and actually you might affect somebody. And they benefiting yeah. off of off of what you this ignorance that you're doing. They benefiting yeah. off of this stuff. Yeah. Like millions and trillions of dollars are put into these systems, yeah. and nothing is coming out of it good. Yeah. If you go into any other country, they don't they don't hold nobody down on no life sentence like that. They got programs to to um, rehabilitate these men and they get back out there in society and do the right thing. Right. Like they don't be holding nobody. Anybody that in in any country will tell you we don't we don't do that. Now America's got it. Got a crazy system. They're capitalizing off everything yeah, of in here in America, even off of the stuff that yeah. our parents um, send money into prison. They capitalize it off of the money my parents send off the, um, for commissary and everything I got to buy. I got to buy my TV um, from them now. At one time, my parents was able to buy a TV and, and clothe me while I was in prison. They took that away, and now they're doing that themselves. The money is going in their pocket, right? It's going in their pocket. They holding bodies for money. That's all they're doing. They're well, holding bodies for money, man. Well, all I can say is you've highlighted a lot of this. I think your story, and quite frankly, not just the story, but the amount of money the city is paying, not just for you, but some of the people you know that are now going to get their settlements next. Yeah. I'm telling you, you make people they're gonna pay. They're going to break Baltimore. It it's gonna it's gonna cost them dearly, but it might. There's a it's chance gonna, it, it it might influence them enough to where they do something because they, they, can't, keep, they can't keep writing these checks. The check that um um Nick Mosby already spoke on it, and he gonna do it. I'm quite sure he gonna do it because he gonna make sure that that law is changed. That that the law is changed. That these police officers that's doing this stuff, the people that that is that is coming out of their um pension. Out of their pension. Because right now, the money for all the wrongdoing that's been done is coming out of the taxpayers' money. Yeah. Out of roads and roads. Out of all this other stuff. Yeah. And the city is there's tore no up. accountability for the people that actually did it. Yeah. The city is tore up. You ride down the street, potholes everywhere, messing your car up. Yep. And they're not paying for these cars that's getting messed up, but they'll keep patching stuff, keep patching, putting patches on yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like, literally, that's what Baltimore is about patching stuff. Sure. Sure, Baltimore is about patching. patching I, I could talk to you for three days. It's already been an hour and a half. I don't want to keep you forever. I just want to end <laughs> it on a positive note. Just what are you looking forward to? Like what, what's the next chapter? You know, um, focusing on myself and my family and my girl, my little my girl, my baby, my little baby girl. And like she getting big real fast. Yeah, it happens, man. Um she's beautiful, by the way. Yeah, I know, man. Like, yeah. and and uh I'ma raise my daughter well, like. She ain't gonna be wearing like these little girls out here and there growing up fast. They is hot in their hind parts. Yeah, they got their daughters on TikTok. What is wrong? With, what's wrong with these? They must think that stuff cute. Yeah. They got perverts. Oh yeah, child molesters and all kinds of grown men looking at your daughter like literally looking at your daughter. You talking about competition? She doing a a dance competition. Mm -hmm. Your daughter's not going to do any competition. My, my daughter ain't doing none of that. My daughter ain't doing none of that. She ain't wearing no fake eyelashes. She ain't wearing no fake hair. None of yeah. that. Like, get it right, women. Women don't take care of themselves these days. Like, like women did back. They, they wore the curlers, curly hair. Took time to, to do their nails and and makeup and whatever. 
they they is just out in space right now. Yeah, these women are out in space right now. I can't. I don't get it. Like you can't even speak to some of these women. And say hi. You can't speak to nobody and say hi no more without getting a response. Say hello. How you doing today? Yeah. You can't even get that. Like it's it's crazy. I, I do stuff for people. It just comes to me. God put it on my heart. I could be in a line, a grocery line, man, and and I'll pay for somebody's yeah. stuff. I did it for an elderly woman. She started crying, like literally yeah. started crying. Yeah. Like nobody has ever done this for me. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, all I can say, I'll wrap it up on that, on that note. Um, I'm I'm grateful to have met you and I'm thankful that you've shared your story with me. I'm looking forward to working with you for years to come and yeah. And seeing your little girl grow up and seeing the next chapter and yeah. you know, it's nothing but I hope, right? Positive things from here on out. And I think That's you're gonna it. make an impact. I yeah. really do. I, th I truly think you're gonna make an impact in a positive way. Yeah. And so that's it. Thank you for joining me. I'll give you a little cheers on the way out. Cheers. I'm a, I'm think I'm gonna take a little little time with this one this time. <laughs> it almost took me out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it, guys. Thank you for joining us on the podcast. <laughs>